Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of B-School. Today, I am so incredibly excited because we have Ruby Warrington on the show. She is the author of Sober Curious and the Sober Curious Reset. And Ruby, welcome. Taylor, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I was telling Ruby before we started that I have just been chomping at the bit to have this conversation. So Ruby, you wrote Sober Curious in 2018, and it really kind of took the world by storm. Like I remember just all of the articles, different startups that popped up, like everyone was talking about sober curiosity. And I ended up deciding to explore sober curiosity on my own. It seems so simple now, but I had always just taken alcohol as a given. Like I'm going to a networking event. Of course, I'm going to have a cocktail or a drink or we're having a girl's night. Of course, we're going to have a bottle of wine and a really cute charcuterie board. And sober curiosity for me was a way to really examine why do I feel like alcohol has to be a part of these things? Why am I choosing to include or not include alcohol in certain events? And then also, I just learned a lot about like how my body relates to alcohol. And I realized my body has a lot of sensitivity that I just ignored or took as normal. So I still occasionally drink, but I find that I challenge this idea really often of does alcohol have to be a part of this or can I just be here in the moment sober and enjoying it? So that's my own little sober curious story. But I'm curious, no pun intended, to hear what are maybe some of the biggest misconceptions that you've seen about sober curiosity since you wrote that book and coined that term? Thank you for sharing your personal kind of diving into this concept. The way that you approached it is exactly how I intended it, really, for people just to get curious. Like you said, for so many of us in West End, most Western societies anyway, alcohol is a given. If you're a grown-up human being, it's just expected that you will drink. And the only people we see typically who don't drink are have, can't drink for some reason, like it's because they have a drinking quote unquote problem. They are an alcoholic. Maybe they're not drinking because they're pregnant or they have other health reasons, or maybe it's for religious reasons. For everybody else, it's just the norm. And I kind of got to a point with my own drinking where I was like, why is that? And actually, if I've been drinking regularly since the age of 15, what would my life be like without alcohol? Because actually, as you probably discovered, when we remove alcohol, sometimes it's only, it's only at that point that we realize how potent of a substance it is and what a big impact it's actually been having on our lives, whether it's our well-being, our confidence, our self-esteem, our connection, our sort of physical wellness as well, and our energy levels, all sorts of things. But yeah, I think the, it's interesting. I think the, the title being so, the fact that, like you said, it just really took off. The movement had been kind of growing and bubbling for a while. By the time my book came out at the very end of 2018, I'd been hosting events on this subject for a couple of years already. And there were a few brands, non-alcoholic brands coming into the space that were kind of talking about this idea of like, you don't have to be an alcoholic or you don't have to go to AA to stop drinking. Like anybody can stop, quit and kind of look at their drinking at any point, right? And when I coined that term sober curious, which is about five years ago, I started using that to describe my own kind of curiosity around drinking. I feel like it just, 
that gave a title and it gave words and language to what a lot of people had already been experimenting with, thinking about, questioning, but didn't really have the language to describe. So I think that's one of the reasons the term just took off so swiftly and went so rapidly. I mean, honestly, all around the world, because it was like, oh yeah, this describes what I'm experiencing. And I think that, yeah, the term really did speak very clearly to what people were already experiencing. So people kind of got it off the bat. Being sober curious doesn't mean that I have to quit drinking. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the way I've been drinking. It's just an invitation, very open-ended and very non-judgmental invitation to really start to ask some of these questions out loud for the first time for a lot of people. Um, I think that in the outset, there was some kind of trepidation or concern among more sort of like traditional sober circles that this might potentially make sobriety seem like a trendy thing. Anything that kind of blows up and becomes popular really quickly, people think, oh, there's this new trend, which means it's going to blow over and people will forget about it in a few months time. And I think some people were concerned there might be some danger that people would see this as a kind of a trendy thing. And then kind of like it would sort of diminish potentially the impact and the value of um, quitting drinking, for pe- particularly for people who are perhaps at the more severe end of the alcohol misuse spectrum. And we can talk about that spectrum a bit if you want as well, because that's quite an important piece in the whole conversation. So there was a little bit of that at the beginning. I actually expected a lot more pushback from the recovery community. I was I was afraid when I first started talking about being sober curious back in 2015, 2016, I wasn't necessarily afraid of the pushback, although I had some trepidation around that, but I was afraid that I might actually be endangering people's recovery by suggesting that there might be more of a middle path or that it didn't need to be so quite so kind of all or nothing. And for some people, certainly like completely quitting kind of never going back is a really vital part of their recovery from alcohol addiction. But for the the vast majority of kind of quote unquote normal social drinkers, which many of us will recognize ourselves in, I don't believe it does have to be so severe. And that kind of taking a step out, maybe dipping back in can actually be a very useful way of actually evaluating our own individual relationship with alcohol. So I was afraid that it might be misconceived as something that was just kind of light and throwaway. And what I really tried to do with my book, Sober Curious, and my, now my follow-up, Sober Curious Reset, goes even deeper into this, is to really encourage people to treat sober curiosity not as like a detox or just some other kind of like wellness thing, but really to use this as an, an opportunity and a time to ask yourself some of the deeper questions about why am I actually, why am I drinking? Like, what might I be covering up? What might I be using it as a crutch for? And to bring in that deeper layer of inquiry so that it becomes a really transformational and, and meaningful exercise for people, this questioning of their drinking. So I hope that in, in the way I write about it, I always go to those deeper places. And of course, that's not always the case. So sometimes it, it, it can feel more sort of like a trendy fun thing. And I think that's okay too, because in my own experience and that of many of the people I talk to who've got sober curious, it's almost like you can't unknow the things you learn about yourself when you remove drinking and really do some of this deeper inquiry. So I think it's very hard to kind of like be sober curious for a bit and then to almost go back to drinking how you were, especially if you had questions around your drinking. So I feel confident that at whatever point on someone's kind of drinking journey, they come to the sober curious conversation, it's going to create 
some kind of a shift or a transformation for them and be something meaningful and much more impactful than just like something I'm trying out this month. Yeah. So that was quite a long-winded answer, <laughs> but I hope it, um, I hope that makes sense. It made perfect sense. And I appreciated all of that. Something that came up for me. So the week that we're recording this is in the mix, midst of the turmoil that's happened with the Capitol. We're also recording in January, where traditionally a lot of people try dry January. And I've seen a lot of tweets or things on social media where like, well, it was going to be a dry January, but now I have to have a glass of wine or now I need a whiskey sour or whatever it is for people. And I, I wonder what conversations people are missing out on with themselves by saying, okay, well, I'm just going to go back to this crutch that I'm used to instead of saying, okay, why is this so upsetting to me? And maybe might there be other tools that I could use to deal with this? Because I mean, I'm exhausted. It's been an emotionally exhausting week, but because of the work I've done around sober curiosity, I have other tools that I can use. I'm so happy you brought this up. It's something I've been thinking deeply about this week as I too have seen those memes, those tweets, dry January is cancelled now. It's like, it's kind of done in a joking way, but it's actually not a joke. You know, there are people out there and I think 2020 particularly saw a lot more, a lot of people reaching for alcohol for perhaps different reasons. People who might have used it as a way to have fun and socialize have been using it this past year as a way to cope with a lot more difficult feelings. And when we're using mm-hmm. alcohol to cover up or drink over more challenging emotions, fear, vulnerability, shock, outrage, guilt, all of these difficult feelings that might come up depending on, yeah, on our sort of identity and like how we're relating to what's going on in the world politically. If we're using alcohol to cover those things up, it can become a a crutch, a much more deeply ingrained and problematic crutch much more quickly. And so I wasn't actually surprised to see those memes coming up, although, yeah, it just seems it's so, um, and it says so much about how alcohol is perceived in our society is this kind of cure-all sort of band-aid that will just make everything okay. But anyone who's ever used alcohol to kind of like make everything okay tonight will know that tomorrow things are still not going to be okay. In fact, things are going to mm. feel even worse. Our perception of our situation is going to be, is going to be um, impaired because we have less energy. We haven't slept well. Our body is dealing with all of these toxins. And actually, a lot of people who have got sober curious and who have quit drinking, I've, on the flip side with what's going on, I've seen a lot of people saying, I'm so glad, I'm so happy that I'm not going to be waking up with a hangover, that I'm not on top of everything else that's going on, dealing with my guilt around drinking, being preoccupied with whether I'm drinking too much. And I think that, yes, as you as you have discovered for yourself, when we find other ways to manage, not even manage, but to experience and process our more challenging emotions, and they could be things like talk therapy. It could just be things like having real conversations with friends. It could be more sort of like traditional self-care practices. When we found those other tools, we know that in times of crisis, we have more support other support systems to lean on and we don't need the alcohol, which ultimately is going to take away from us so much more than it feels like it might be giving us in the moment. So for anyone who's, I guess, listening and is finding it, finding a strong urge to escape or just kind of like forget about stuff for tonight, I completely understand where that comes from. And it makes so much sense to be feeling that way. And there's nothing wrong with feeling that way at all. It's just how we're indoctrinated as a society. But if we can resist the urge, we actually discover as well, and you might have found this, I certainly have, 
that we actually have much deeper reserves of resilience and confidence and self-trust um, than we ever realized when we were drinking through the difficult times, you know? And we only really realize that when we, when, we are, when we are able to be with our challenging emotions, be with challenging situations and not numb out. We realize how resilient we actually are. Yes. There's a strength, this inner strength that you can't know that you're able to access until you're able to step back a little bit and maybe not use the crutches that you have used before. Right before we got on this conversation, I was actually talking to a friend about our relationship to Instagram, which is a whole other beast that is a different conversation. But I find that there are parallels between how people might relate to alcohol and how they relate to things like Instagram. But we'll save that for another day. Um, (laughs) I agree. We've talked about, yeah, this is, oh, Instagram. It's just a lot especially this week, which is why I'm glad because in addition to being sober curious, I'm, I'm maybe Instagram curious right now. I'm on way less. I'm engaging way less and I feel much better. And that's just what happens to be working for me right now. But okay. So we talked about sober curious, kind of the book, the terminology. I want to talk about the book, Sober Curious Reset, that's just come out. I got a chance to review it and I loved it. So for people who are listening who are curious. It's a 100-day journey and it's got just like these bite-sized prompts, ways for you to engage with yourself, ask questions, observe. And for me, as someone who talks about self-care a lot and the definition for self-care that I use is listening within and responding in the most loving way possible, I really appreciated how the book encouraged readers just to get to know themselves without alcohol in the equation without that being a distraction. And so for you, as someone who has been on this sober curious journey for a while, I'm wondering what is the most surprising thing that you've learned about yourself? (laughs) Where to start with that one? First of all, I just want to say I love your description of self-care. I did an Instagram live with someone yesterday and she was asking what my self-care kind of routine is. And I was like, honestly, for me, self-care is knowing myself and my needs so well that I can give myself what I need in the moment. And that might look very different from day to day. Yes, I meditate every day. That's one, that's kind of my only one sort of like meditative self-care thing that I do every day regularly, just because it's become such a habit now. I almost do it without thinking, like as soon as I wake up. But otherwise, self-care for me is like body, mind, emotions, what do we need today? And in whatever yeah. way I can, seeking to give myself that, you know? Um, the most surprising things I've learned about myself. I'm far more confident than I ever thought I was. Like a lot of people, I discovered alcohol in my teens and found it and and used it as a way to feel more confident and to feel like I fit in and to feel like I could kind of be one of the popular kids and like not such a wallflower. I'm very introverted. I'm a writer for a reason. Like I love spending long hours just with my own thoughts in my own (laughs) zone, you know? Um, And so yeah, with the pressure to socialize and kind of be out there that kind of came in in the teenage years and then continued throughout adulthood, I always used alcohol as a way to feel more confident, particularly in social situations. But it was only removing it that I realized that real confidence for me comes from like really being with myself. And actually what we've just, you and you prompted me to comment on about self-care, real confidence comes from really knowing myself. And knowing that it's okay to give myself what I need. And sometimes what I might need might feel, feel like, 
feeling uncomfortable at a networking event and going home <laughs> and not feeling like I need to stay there and like put myself in situations where I don't feel comfortable or I don't feel safe or I don't feel welcome. And sort of putting my own needs first is a way to build confidence. And I only really discovered that through not drinking because I'd been drinking over my lack of confidence and my low self-esteem for my whole adult life. So that's one thing I've discovered. Um, and I guess there are things which I always knew about myself, but which I didn't want to accept. That I'm like mm. a massive nerd and I love nothing better than like reading or like doing a crossword. <laughs> you know, Sudoku and me are good friends. <laughs> so like I'm really nerdy and I used to get teased about that a lot in even kind of like middle school, you know, and, and even lower. Um, and I just didn't like that about myself. I didn't think it was very cool or whatever. And so... Yeah, I've allowed myself to just be my my kind of nerdy self and I'm so much happier that way, you know. So I've discovered these things about myself. I guess I, I've discovered that I am very emotionally kind of inconsistent as well. Like, and, and I don't know if this mm. is maybe similar for a lot of people. Like my emotions can be wildly different from day to day and that that's okay as well, you know. However I'm feeling is okay. I think I've just become more emotionally literate actually much better at kind of like knowing, knowing how I feel by being able to describe it to myself. And then that becoming a way of like, okay, I feel like this today. So I need more of this, or I'm going to put more of this in my calendar today. You know? Yeah. It's like, you're able to pull out the distinctions between your different emotions and understand like this flavor of sadness really benefits from this, Mm. but this type of sadness has a tinge of fear and I might need to deal with it a little bit differently emotionally literate. I really like that. And the the next question that I have for you is, so you built this sense of self-knowledge by not being as distracted by alcohol. I'm curious if other distractions have popped up because you've kind of taken alcohol out of the equation. Well, we touched on Instagram and I think a lot of people, I mean, Instagram, social media in general and apps even, are designed to be as addictive and addicting as possible. Even smartphones, you know, all the little noises, every little noise your smartphone makes, every swipe, every little button you press that creates a mini dopamine hit in your brain. So all the time you're using your smartphone, whether it's emailing, whether it's shopping apps, whether it's gaming apps, whether it's social media, you're getting these little drips of dopamine all day long, which is what drives addiction. We get addicted to that. We want to feel dopamine because dopamine makes us feel good. It makes us feel motivated. It makes us feel important. It makes us feel like we're having an impact in the world. All of these things we want. But when we constantly are getting our little dopamine hits from our phone, our world becomes so small. And I'm doing this, I'm kind of like, as we're talking, people can't see, but I'm kind of like looking at the palm of my hand, like our vision becomes so narrow we can't really see what's going on in the world, actual worlds around us. Yeah. We might feel like we're connected to the world. We might feel like we're connected to world events, but it's very concentrated and the way that so, and it's very bright size and it's very kind of, it's designed to, to press this little kind of dopamine and adrenaline triggers in us. So we're on this constant kind of like strange emotional journey with our phones basically. And so I have to be really wary about my, phone use. With social media, I delete the apps off my phone at night and I don't put them on my phone all weekend. I kind of have office hours there is how I'm managing that. Because as a writer, it's it's, it's expect, not only expected, like it's a necessary part of my business and my career to have a social media presence. 
So that's one. And actually just, just this year, I suppose, with lockdown, like shopping apps, I've had to delete the shop style app off my phone as well, because I noticed this kind of similar obsessive thinking of like, should I get those sneakers? And I wouldn't want, and I'd be like, no, no, it's not good. Can't afford them. Don't need sneakers. Shouldn't be buying stuff online. Shouldn't be buying stuff in general. It's bad for the environment. Like all of this similar kind of like conflicted thinking I used to have around drinking. I only identified it recently. And then I'd like give in and get them, feel a bit kind of like a mini kind of like, yay, and then a bit sick and then almost immediately start obsessing over something else. And so I was like, no, that, that we need to, like that has to, we need to put it on that one as well. So that's something that came up for me recently. But I realized that even those shopping apps can be really addictive too. Yeah. So yeah, those are the things like the tech stuff is the stuff that's come up for me. Which makes sense because you have some of the smartest people in the world. And instead of them trying to tackle problems like what's going on with the environment, they're trying to see how can we get Ruby to spend more money and how can we get her on this app longer? So it's not your fault fully. And it's our responsibility, I think, to be aware of these things and to resist in whatever ways we can. And like, yeah. Yes, I hadn't even really put those two things together before, but thank you for articulating that. We have some of the smartest minds in the world being put to how can we get people to spend more money? How can we make more money for these corporations that are already like, you know, causing such problems when it comes to inequality? When we we have such we have much bigger technical and technological and logistical problems to be addressing at this moment in history, you know? Yeah. It's really important to note. And when we do become aware of these things, which we wouldn't if we weren't having these conversations, if we weren't getting conscious about our habitual behaviors, we just continue because we're so susceptible, you know? Yeah. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot. And you mentioned like in 2020, in this sense where we're not seeing as many people and we're confined there's a lot that that starts to bubble up both with people's relationship to alcohol, but realizing, huh, maybe the shopping app isn't treating me, my relationship to it isn't what I want it to be. Or Instagram, I thought I was fine. I thought it was this thing that just made me happy. And actually there's some, some strife there. So people are having space to explore that if they want to step into it. I want to hear from you. If someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, I am at home. I'm not having to go to happy hours all the time. Maybe this is a good time for me to experiment with sober curiosity, but I'm just not quite sure. What would you say to someone who's a little bit on the fence about it? Well, first of all, I'd say you really have nothing to lose by trying it out. You know, you're not, there's nothing you need to kind of like invest really in any way. If anything, you could potentially save money from quitting alcohol. Um, you're definitely going to save energy. So yeah, I think the thing, the thing to say, particularly when if, if you're a social drinker and you mainly use alcohol as a way to kind of socialize and interact with others, if that's been reduced, then yeah, you really have absolutely nothing to lose by at least giving it a go. I would suggest, I mean, you know, the Sober Curious Reset takes people through 100 days, which might seem quite intense for somebody who's like 100 days, that's like over three months. But for me, and the reason I chose that amount of time is that, again, in my experience and what I've seen from a lot of people who get sober curious is that it's after three months that you really start to notice the biggest changes and the biggest benefits. 
And so, yeah, it's a really good, it's the minimum amount of time I'd recommend for someone who is maybe a bit more concerned about their drinking and really wants to, really wants to make a change. But if you're just curious, then doing a dry January is a great sort of way to dip your toe in. I mentioned you can save money, but there are also now some really great alcohol-free options that you kind of touched on. There are so many interesting brands coming into the space, whether it's alcohol-free craft beers, there's some great alcohol-free Proseccos, spirits, all sorts of things that you can kind of experiment with and just have in your cupboard to reach for on a Friday night instead. Because sometimes, sometimes again, if we, if we don't consider we have a problem or we don't consider ourselves as being that attached or even addicted to alcohol, Again, it's only when we remove it and we don't have it that one time in the week when we normally have it that we realize like how much we actually desire it and how attached to it we are. So it might be like Friday night, for example. If you've got something else in your fridge that you can reach for on a Friday night when that craving comes up, it can just, you can kind of sail through those situations a lot more easily and actually get to experience, oh, what it's like to wake up on a Saturday with a completely clear head, you know? So yeah, I would say like you really have nothing to lose and you can always go back to it. I'm not, I'm not all or nothing. I'm being sober curious doesn't mean that you're committing to quitting alcohol for good. It really is about have, doing an experiment with yourself. Yeah, which is such a beautiful way to view it. So if you are listening and it's something that you are thinking about, like Ruby said, go ahead and try it. And I do really recommend her book for especially people who like to be introspective and like to be guided along the journey. I appreciated that at certain points, it was like, you might be feeling this right now. Let's get into it. So it's a wonderful resource. Before we wrap things up, I have lightning questions I ask every guest on the show. So don't think about it too much. You can just go with your gut reaction. First question is, what's something that you've learned that you are excited about? I've learned how to self-publish books. Ooh. I also run a boutique self-publishing company. That was something I kind of like launched last year or at least started working on last year. And I currently have a roster of like seven, eight authors who I'm helping publish their books. So I've been going through the process of like learning how to, because I'm, you know, I've had books out, but with publishers, but I've learned how to self-publish and it's so thrilling to be able to help people get their work out into the world. That's really exciting. What is something that you're in the process of unlearning? It's a big one. I'm in the process of unlearning the internalized racist views that I have Mm. as a white person. I really appreciate your honesty in, in sharing that. And last question, what is a way that you've grown that you're proud of? And this is like, especially women, I feel like we're conditioned to not own our growth and things. So this is like brag, celebrate yourself. I'll celebrate you. (laughs) A way that I've grown. Yeah. That you're really proud of. Okay. This might sound strange, but last year I also decided to get sober from like straightening my hair, blow drying my hair. I've got naturally, it's all kind of dirty. So it's up today, but it's really like wavy and I've blown out straight since age 13 and I quit the blow dry this past year. So I feel like that's been a major um, growth in terms of my own self-acceptance, just kind of showing up in the world as I am. Um, So yeah, that's been a big one for me. I love that. And just, it's another way for you to embrace who you are, like you said. Well, Ruby, Mm -hmm. thank you for being on the show. Listeners, we will have links to Ruby's website, Ruby's book, Ruby's Instagram, which is worth a follow. Even if you're not trying to spend too much time there, I 
promise that it's an encouraging space to be. And I will be back in your earbuds next week.